Hey folks, Andy Patton here. Today's episode is going to focus on the COVID cancellations that have been ravaging the sport of college basketball and frankly the NBA and the NHL and the NFL unfortunately as well. How that could continue to impact the Zags. We also got some Anton Watson love coming in the second segment and of course it's Wednesday so we're going to take a look at the rest of the West Coast Conference as well. All right here, Locked on Zags, don't go away. You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team, every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by NetSuite. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. Head to netsuite.com slash NCAA for special end-of-the-year financing on the number one Clyde financial system for growing businesses. I also want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day. I know some of you have just recently started listening to the show. Some of you have been around for a really long time. Just know that I sincerely appreciate every single person who listens, whether it's once or a hundred times. And I extra appreciate all of you who go to youtube.com, search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button if you have not already. I appreciate all of my listeners and my watchers. I promise you I do, but it's an extra bonus if you can hit that subscribe button. I sincerely appreciate it. All right, not the happiest topic here in segment one, a topic that we first started discussing in March of 2020 and unfortunately are still discussing with regards to college basketball. That is, of course... COVID-19 and the situation that is evolving right now in all major sports, but particularly at least as it pertains to this podcast in college hoops. That is, of course, the cancellation of games, the positive testing, the situation that's going on with that. Um, the, the main thing, and I'm not going to get into this too extensively because I am not somebody who studies <laughs> viral diseases. I don't have an expertise in this, but what we do know quite simply is that the Omicron variant of COVID-19 is very, very contagious, uh, and it is spreading like wildfire in the United States uh, to the point where we are seeing a huge numbers of positive COVID tests. Now, those who are vaccinated, as they have been since the vaccine, vaccines came out earlier this year, are tending to show far less symptoms. We're not seeing a lot of hospitalizations, death from the vac- people who are vaccinated, but still some, some negative situations for people who are choosing not to be vaccinated. What that means for college sports is that the rules that were put into place, again, this permeates to all sports, but for the purposes of this conversation for college sports, the teams and the the leagues put in a lot of rules, and the NCAA for that matter, to try to prevent teams from being punished when when they lost games, but specifically trying to prevent, trying to encourage student-athletes to get vaccinated because they knew that that was a more effective way to prevent not only the spread of COVID-19, but obviously the risk of getting seriously uh, sick or potentially dying or spreading it to other people. But what's happened now is we have a lot of student athletes who are testing positive, 
but are asymptomatic. They were asymptomatic when they got tested, they tested positive, they remained asymptomatic. But because this spreads really quickly and the vaccine doesn't necessarily prevent you from spreading it, it stays in your system a shorter period of time, which makes it less likely you'll spread it than if you were unvaccinated. But if you're spending, you know, almost every minute of every day with the rest of your teammates on a basketball court and you get it, you're very likely going to give it to them. And that's what we're seeing is we're seeing tons and tons of student athletes who are vaccinated, who are asymptomatic, but who are testing positive, And that's causing them to be held out of action. That's causing teams to have to forfeit or cancel games. And so the big overarching question is if these student athletes are not sick, they're not showing any symptoms of being sick, if they are vaccinated, should this be preventing these teams from getting the opportunity to play basketball? Should they, and specifically, I think the the main point is, should these teams be forced to forfeit? Because we can cancel games and try to reschedule them at a different time or at the worst case end result is just not playing the game and just having the teams each respectively play one less game than they would have played uh, had they gotten the game in, which is what's going on with the Gonzaga University of Washington game. That game did not get played. Both teams are just down a game. That's it. Washington did forfeit to UCLA, and that was because of the Pac-12 rules are different, but they did not forfeit to Gonzaga. But now we're starting to see situations where we have teams who could be potentially forfeiting multiple games when they have a team that's 80, 85, 90 plus percent vaccinated, where the players did what was asked of them. They got vaccinated. They're not symptomatic. They're not sick. And yet they're being there. These teams are having to, to forfeit games and lose, you know, Obviously, it hurts them in the ratings. It hurts them in conference play if it's a conference game that they're losing. It hurts their ability to get a good seat in the big dance or go to the March Madness at all. And it seems like we're we're at a situation where something needs to change. Uh, The Big 12, right before I, I went live with this show, announced that they are changing their policy to no more forfeitures. Teams, if, if they are unable to field an entire team, which is six or more players, they the game will be canceled and it will be ruled a no contest, or they will attempt to replay it another day if they're capable of doing so. The article that I read, which is at Sports Illustrated, indicated that the Pac-12 and the SEC are considering this as well and are expected to follow suit. If that happens, I suspect that we'll see the ACC and the Big Ten follow suit, and then from there, the rest of the mid-major conferences are likely going to start doing that as well. That's a good thing. We, we, we want that. We don't want players and teams and coaches and fans to be punished for something that at this point is just kind of a part of our lives. I, I don't mean to dismiss or diminish the impact that COVID-19 or the Omicron variant or the Delta variant or any, any aspect of COVID can have on people's lives. I don't want to say like, oh, like, I don't want to sound like somebody's like, oh, just keep playing. It doesn't matter because it does matter. It's very important and it's significant and it's serious. And there's still the ability for asymptomatic, healthy people who have the virus to spread it to older people or immunocompromised people or unvaccinated people who could then potentially get sick. This is not something that should be taken super lightly. However, we've reached a point where we're punishing players and teams for not really doing anything wrong. They've done all that's asked of them. You can't tell them to to socially distance 100% of the time when they're on a basketball court. (laughs) It's just, it's not possible for them to do that. What we've asked them to do in lieu of constantly being six feet away from everybody is get vaccinated, get boosted. And for the most part, they have done that. Obviously, we don't know exact figures. And we also know that some teams are straight up lying about their figures. That's a direct shot at Penny Hardaway and the Memphis Tigers because he lied about how many 
of the players on his roster were vaccinated, which is obviously uh, not ideal situation for that team and that program. But it's an interesting situation where I don't know what the league is exactly going to do. I don't know that I know what they should do necessarily. It seems like just saying, oh, we'll just play on and just kind of like, no, nobody will forfeit. Nobody, no games will get canceled. We'll just play regardless. Seems too cavalier. Uh, not testing asymptomatic people is probably the direction that this is eventually going to go, where you only test if you are showing any any symptoms at all. And if you're not showing any symptoms, you don't get tested. I mean, my wife's a nurse. She's been a nurse th- through this entire pandemic, was a nurse before the pandemic. She's not required to get tested to go to work. She is required to not go to work if she has any symptoms. That is pretty standard for that field, uh, from what I understand, at least in the Pacific Northwest, certainly. So I don't think it's necessarily fair to demand student-athletes get tested all of the time because it's just going to catch more cases. But again, it's 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 a tough situation. I feel for the decision-makers who have to figure out how to handle this because they want basketball, A, for financial reasons, but B, because... You know, the kids are here to play basketball. The fans are here to play basketball. Like it's, a, it's a big thing that's going on. And now we're kind of in this weird situation where it seems like, like continuing the, the, the path that we're on right now, where we're forfeiting a lot of games, we're canceling a lot of games, and we don't have a lot of seriously sick people feels di- like it, it doesn't feel right. <laughs> we need to do something differently. Hopefully the Big 12's decision to change the policy where they won't have any more forfeitures will permeate throughout the rest of the college basketball landscape, and we'll start to see less games getting canceled. But Gonzaga has been fortunate. It's only impacted one of their games, again, the game against the University of Washington. Gonzaga was linked to multiple opportunities to play big-time non-conference games because of other cancellations. Kentucky was the most notable one where a lot of people were calling for Gonzaga to head out to Kentucky, play play them, uh, the Wildcats, and it just didn't work with Gonzaga's schedule. This would have been, I think this game would have happened the day you're listening to this, most likely on Wednesday, the 22nd, but Gonzaga had all their players had already booked flights home for Christmas after the most recent game against Northern Arizona. So there wasn't really any like t- telling all of the players, hey, you have to re, you, you only get one day home now. You have to replan all of your flights because we're going to travel out to play Kentucky in what would have been their third game in five days. Wasn't a good situation. People can say what they want. I haven't seen too much, you know, kind of complaining from the Kentucky faithful, although I intend to avoid listening to what the Kentucky fans have to say on social media anyway, but it just wasn't wasn't a good situation. Perhaps it'll lead to another game down the line for the Zags, perhaps not. Obviously, they have at least one, maybe two weeks this year where they have an extra day off during the regular season. Maybe they'll look to add a team uh, in that situation. And then the last thing, this, this impacts the NBA in a significant way too. And I noticed today that amongst the what seemed to be hundreds of announcements of players who are entering health and safety protocols, who are not playing for their team right now. Uh, one of them was Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who plays for the Washington Wizards. That could be an opportunity to see more of Corey Kispert or potentially see Joel Ayayi coming up on a two-way contract from the G League. I think there's some G League players who have been signed to hardship contracts in the NBA. I know Jamario Jones signed with the Lakers. Mac McClung, I believe, also signed with the Lakers or he signed with somebody in the NBA. This could be an opportunity for David Stockton, who has been playing extremely well in the NBA, to potentially sign a 10-day hardship contract. 
uh, and get some actual run in the league. That that cannot happen for Joel or Killian Tilly because they are contracted by the teams that they are on. Although Tilly has been playing pretty consistently with Memphis when we do a Zags in the NBA update. We will talk about that. And Joel, I think, is going to get some opportunities here soon to play for Washington. So a little bit of good news for the Zags. Hopefully the situation, they find a way to to resolve it in a way that doesn't cause a lot of games to get canceled or forfeited uh, in situations where the players could ultimately otherwise play. But obviously the first and foremost concern is the health and safety of all of the players, their families, their immediate close contacts, the fans at the arena, all of that. So hopefully we can find the best solution that works for all parties involved. All right, not the happiest topic for segment one, but we're going to switch in segment two, we're going to talk about Anton Watson, his last four games, which have been incredible, what this means for his future on this team and potentially as a professional basketball player. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love this app, and I know that you will too. Prize Picks is a leader in college sports daily fantasy. They offer more college football props than anyone in the world and offer all the star players from not only the Power 5 schools, but your favorite mid-major programs as well. New users that deposit and use the promo code LOCKEDON will receive a 100% instant deposit match of up to $100. PrizePix allows mixed sport entries, so you can take the over on Chet Holmgren combined with the under on Patrick Mahomes in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Don't hesitate. Check out PrizePix.com now and use promo code LOCKEDON or go to your App Store and download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. Today's episode is also brought to you by NetSuite. This is it, the putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system out there to power your company's growth. With visibility and control of your finances, inventory, HR needs, planning, budgeting, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow as a company all in one convenient location. NetSuite lets you automate your processes and close your books in no time while keeping you ahead of your competition. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite, and right now through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash lockedonncaa. Head to netsuite.com slash lockedonncaa for special end-of-the-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. That's netsuite.com slash lockedonncaa. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still chatting about the Gonzaga Bulldogs pivoting away from the COVID-19 discussion and what it means for college basketball. Instead, talking about the man of the hour, the player that I think popped the most in the Northern Arizona game, but not just in that game. He has had an outstanding couple weeks of basketball. That is, of course, Anton Watson. I have been a huge proponent of Anton Watson. I, I looked back through my ScoreZag score annals, and I think it was my 15th, 14th episode that I ever did of ScoreZag score was like a week into his freshman season at Gonzaga, and I did an episode called Anton Watson, Past, Present, and Future, talking all about who he was, who he is now, what kind of player he could be in a Gonzaga uniform, and potentially beyond that. So this is a bit of a response to that episode, but also mostly just highlighting how good he has been the last few games. 
Watson, for those who want a quick recap on who he is, uh, was billed as a potential early departure guy for the NBA out of Gonzaga Prep. I don't know how many people remember that, but he was talked about like, hey, is this guy even going to be here all four years? Is he going to leave early? Is he going to go to the league type of thing? He played 15 games as a freshman because of that shoulder injury. He And again, the 15 games, he wasn't healthy for all 15 games. He got hurt, I think, four games into the year and then continued to play. And I remember there was a lot of consternation of why is he still playing? Like why he, he was playing like eight to ten minutes a game. He was physically in pain. Like you could tell that he was hurting. And so a lot of the numbers that he put up in that stretch of season, I think, are are really not not really a don't they don't give you a full picture of who he is as a basketball player or who he even was at that time. He was a better basketball player as a freshman than those numbers indicate because he was so hurt. Eventually they shut him down. He missed the entire rest of the season. He finished his freshman season with five points. Three and a half rebounds, one and a half assists, and shot 63% on two-pointers. So even in a season where he was hurt, where he wasn't quite living up to what were some perceived expectations for him, dude still shot 63% on two-pointers. Then we have his sophomore season. He comes out, he plays plays 32 games as a sophomore, 17 starts, about halfway through the season. Gonzaga switched up their starting lineup, inserted Andrew Nempard, went with the three-guard look of Nempard, Joel, Jalen Suggs, really a four-guard lineup, depending on whether you consider Corey Kispert a guard or not. But that was the right decision at the time. Watson wasn't really struggling that much. He just wasn't a good fit in the starting lineup, whereas Nempard and Suggs kind of gave him that two-point guard look that really helped them thrive significantly as they got into March and obviously powered through the NCAA tournament. Watson finished his sophomore year averaging seven points, three and a half boards, 1.2 assists, 1.2 steals, and shot 71% on two-pointers. 71%. And yeah, it's not like he was taking a huge amount of them. But again, seven points per game in 32 games. It's not like he wasn't taking any. It's not like it's this tiny sample size. He was scoring regularly every single game for the number one team in the country and doing it at nearly three-quarters success rate on two-point shots. Most considered his sophomore year kind of eh. And part of that was because he lost his starting job. Obviously, anytime that happens, it's not going to be viewed as a positive thing. That's understandable. But also, he was still dealing with the shoulder injury. He was still hurt last year. I don't know the extent of it. I don't know that we ever will know the extent of it unless somebody point blank asks him and he gives an honest answer about it. But he was still playing injured and he was still playing well and he you know he lost his starting job to a really talented player gets <laughs> you know again he didn't lose his starting job to to you know the ninth or tenth guy off the bench he lost his starting job to you know the the team's current starting point guard and a Bob Cousy finalist so you know that no no shame in that and then so now we have this this player two years in at Gonzaga he hasn't been this. He hasn't looked like an NBA player. He hasn't looked like a future star necessarily. He does a lot of the grunt work. He's a good defensive player. Hasn't been a great scorer. Hasn't showed the outside shot. But is also coming off these injuries. So coming into this year, it was kind of a bit of a mixed bag on what you were going to get. We knew Drew Timmy was going to start. Obviously, we knew Chad Holmgren was going to start. Ben Gregg and Caden Perry were in the mix. There was some discussion of whether Watson would play more minutes at the three this year, whether Chet would play the three and Anton would play more of the four, whether we would see a lot more of Ben Gregg and Caden Perry potentially pushing Anton farther down on the bench, or of course, whether we would see more of those Julian Strother at the four lineups with just only one big in the game, which would obviously have cut into Anton's playing time. And then he started out the season, his second game of the year against Texas was outstanding. 10 points, 3 of 4 shooting on 2-pointers, 4 for 4 from the free throw line. 
missed one shot. One shot inside the two. I think he missed a couple of threes in that game. But he, on two-pointers and free throws, he missed one shot against Texas. Now, Texas didn't look particularly great in that game. As we know, the no-middle defense didn't didn't really work under Coach Chris Beard and, and the new staff and the new players. It just wasn't quite there. But still, Anton quietly put up 10 points in that game on hyper-efficient scoring. And then he had a really, really bad stretch of games. Really bad. <laughs> <laughs> there is no other way to put it. I've been hyper. I praise Anton Watson. I've been really, really, really excited about him. I'm not afraid to, to admit that. But when things are down, you got to admit it. And they, they were down. Alcorn State, Bellarmine, Central Michigan, UCLA, Duke, Tarleton State. That six-game stretch for Anton Watson was brutal. His minutes per game dropped all the way down to 14.2. And that's because he couldn't stop fouling. He averaged three fouls per game in 14 minutes. He fouled out against Bellarmine in 12 minutes. 12 minutes. And the dude fouled out against UCLA. He committed four fouls in five minutes. Five minutes per game. Or five minutes total in that game. He committed four fouls. He he just he was too aggressive defensively. Some of them were ticky-tack. But at the end of the day, you have to adjust to that. If you get called for a couple ticky-tack fouls early, you have to adjust the way you play defensively to avoid getting called for more fouls. He was unable to do that during this stretch. It seriously hampered his ability to be effective on offense and defense. He only averaged 2.3 points, 3.3 rebounds. He did average 2.5 assists per game, 35.7% from the field, 38% on twos. This is the the dude who shot 71% on two-pointers all of his sophomore season, 68% as a freshman. For a six-game stretch, he shot 39% on twos. He only shot 44% from the free-throw line. Granted, that was a very small sample size, but still, this was a brutal stretch for Anton Watson. Now, he was still playing good defense because at the end of the day, he's still a good defensive player. Now, he's committing a lot of fouls, so the defense was was hurt by that, obviously. If you foul an opposing player and he gets free throws, that's bad defense. There's not really any way you can argue that that's anything other than bad for the team, obviously. So at this point, Watson was starting to look like, are we going to see more of those four, three-guard lineups, four-guard lineups with Julian Strother at the four? I was clamoring for them. I still believe that there's a place for them on Gonzaga's roster where they play Strother at the four and either Chet or Anton or Drew at the five, any of them, and play three guards. I still think there's an opportunity to do that. But the calls for this were, were really strong at this point because Watson just didn't look like a guy who, who they needed to get on the court. And then things changed. Things changed significantly after that. The last four games for Anton Watson, we all know that they've been good. I think objectively, fans who've been watching the game was like, oh, Anton's really picked it up lately. But I don't know if people who haven't been pouring over his box scores the way that I have really realize how good he's been these last few games. Last four games, Watson's averaging 11.5 points, 5.3 rebounds, 2 assists, and 2 steals. He is shooting 78% on two-pointers, so more than three-fourths of the time his two-point shots go in. 66, 66% excuse me, on threes, again, small sample size, but for a guy who shot 11% as a freshman, pretty nice to see him up well over 50% for the last four games. Only 67% from the free-throw line, that's still an area that Anton Watson needs to improve, but that is incredible numbers. Beyond that, just watching, without looking at the stats, the eye test, he's been far more aggressive looking for his own shot. He's been posting up, trying to establish low post position, something we, the last couple years on offense, he's kind of just floated. He hasn't really looked like he was trying to to 
force the action, trying to make the defense respect him. And now he is. He goes down low. He fights for position. He gets the ball. He's a quick decision maker with the basketball. Usually does the same spin move where he spins away from the basket and puts up a little baby hook on the baseline. It's a good move. It's worked for him. No no real strong reason to change that. He's a good he's good at crashing the glass. He's a good offensive rebounder. He moves exceptionally well without the basketball. He's more confident putting the ball on the on the ground, trying to drive past his opponent, trying to cross them up. He's way more confident that he didn't do that at all. His first two years, like you can go back and try to find me some video. Maybe there's some out there that exists, but I don't remember it. I don't remember him doing that at all. And now he does it multiple times per game. And in, you know, occasionally he'll turn it over because he's trying too hard to force a shot or he, he tries to force a pass that's not there. He's not perfect, but I would rather him have a, the occasional, you know, dumb, tried to force a shot and missed it badly type possession than never try to do anything on offense. I would much rather he be that hyper-aggressive, I'm trying to go to the rack and get a bucket type of player. He shouldn't do that all the time, and he doesn't because he is second on this team in assists behind, you know, the Bob Cousy finalist point guard, Andrew Nembhard. He's also second on the team in steals behind Bob Cousy finalist, Andrew Nembhard. So, you know, that's not bad from your six foot eight backup power forward to be second on the team in assists and steals. I don't think there's a lot of teams in the country, maybe not any team in the country, that can say that about their backup power forward. I'd be pretty surprised if there was. So the next question for Anton Watson is, is he NBA bound? For most of this season and most of last season and a lot of his freshman season, I think a lot of people would say no. Uh, and I've continued to clamor that, yes, there's a there's a reasonable path for Anton Watson to be an NBA player. Size is the biggest thing. He's six foot eight. He's 225 pounds. And those are, those are legit figures. You can tell. He's a big dude. He's a strong dude. He's a muscular guy. He's built like an NBA small ball four or three. He also can play perimeter defense like at an elite level. He could play perimeter defense in the NBA right now. It would take him a little bit of adjusting because the game's a bit different, but he could do it right now. I firmly believe that. There are not a lot of players in college basketball who could be plus or at least above average defensive players in the NBA right now. Anton Watson is one of them. His floor vision, his ability to make the right pass to make reads offensively is huge. I hate this comparison. I want to say this very clearly that I hate this comparison. But there is a lot of reason to believe that Anton Watson is somewhat similar to Golden State Warriors center Draymond Green. Draymond Green is a negative offensive player, or at least not a positive offensive player, but he is a six foot eight playmaking center who is a decent passer, who can handle the ball without making a lot of mistakes, and is a elite defensive player. Watson is not going to be the same as Anton Watson, or Watson's not going to be the same as Draymond Green. Excuse me, Green's a little bit more of a rim protector. He's probably a little bit better of an offensive player than Watson will be. But there are some similarities there. The biggest thing that Watson needs to work on has not changed. He needs to prove he can knock down an outside shot. He's done it more so lately than he had been previously, but a couple of games of hitting a few threes isn't enough. He needs to prove that he can do that consistently. And part of it starts with the free throw line. If he shoots okay from three or if he improves throughout the year but his free throw percentage never improves scouts are going to hold that against him they're going to say well maybe he can shoot the three a little bit but he's still a 62 percent free throw shooter so you know we don't we're not sure and that's totally reasonable at the end of the day anton watson's not going to the nba this year i would be very 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 surprised if he did that he might test the waters he might go do some workouts as they're allowed to do now but i don't think he's going to be going to the nba this year but Next year, he comes back. He's in the starting lineup alongside one of Caden Perry or Ben Gregg, or if they bring in some, some 
graduate transfers or something like that. But he's going to be a big part of, of the picture next year. And if his offense improves, if he's averaging 12 points per game like he has been over these last four games, he's shooting over 35% from three. Yeah, you bet he's going to be an NBA player. And I'm so excited to see what Watson continues to do, not just next season when he's in a bigger role, but this year as well. He's such a critical part to this team and the success that they've been having and the success that they're going to have into the regular season, into conference play, into March. And he's going to be such a huge piece of all of that. And, And the NBA stuff is secondary to that, certainly. But I think what we've seen the last four games is a glimpse of what kind of player he can legitimately be when he's given that opportunity. All right, fun little look at one of my favorite Zags. Third segment's going to be a quick overview of the last week of WCC action. It is Wednesday after all. we got to talk WCC. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Built Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Bill Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Go to BillBar.com now and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's BillBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order. Today's episode is also brought to you by BetOnline. Folks, BetOnline is back and better than ever. BetOnline has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball seasons and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, welcome back. Segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. It's Wednesday. It's WCC Wednesday, the last one before conference play really gets going, of course, at the very end of December into early January is when we'll get into the conference play, the Thursday-Saturday slates for the Zags. For now, though, I want to kind of recap basically the end of the conference or the non-conference slate. Most teams still have one, maybe two non-conference games remaining, but I just want to kind of go through where every team is at. We'll start with USF, the Dons, 11-1 on the season, 34th in Ken Palm. They finally lost They lost their first game of the year to the Grand Canyon Antelopes, a team that is considered a possibility to join the WCC in place of BYU. USF rebounded from that loss by beating Arizona State the next day, which is really difficult to do for any mid-major school, any school in general, to rebound from your first loss of the year and beat a Power 5 school, a Pac-12 school like Arizona State. Granted, Arizona State is struggling. I'm not going to pretend that they're, you know, the James Harden era team like they were back in the day, but still a nice win for the Dons, 11-1 on the year. They still got some at-large hopes. Uh, they're dwindling. Any time, for a team like that, any loss at all is pretty devastating. And while while Grand Canyon has a very good chance to be a tournament team, I think they're likely the front runners in the WAC, or at least right up there with New Mexico State. Uh, it's still still tough to lose a game like that. So hopefully they can do really well through conference play and potentially keep themselves in that conversation for a tournament spot. Next up, St. Mary's, the Gales, 
10 and 3 on the year. Ken Palm 39th. They lost to San Diego State recently. Not a huge surprise. I think both those teams are fairly evenly matched, but San Diego State got the better of them in that one. Similar to USF, at at large hopes are dwindling. A three-loss St. Mary's team, if you assume they're going to lose twice to Gonzaga, maybe once to BYU, maybe a third time in the WCC tournament. Uh, now all of a sudden you got a six-loss St. Mary's team. They got some decent wins. I don't know. They're going to be really tough right there. They got Montana State and Yale coming up as their next couple of games. Uh, hopefully a couple of wins there, but again, not not moving the needle too much for them. Next up, BYU. BYU is 9-2 on the year 24th in Ken Palm. They lost to Creighton. That was a tough loss for BYU. Uh, again, they got out-rebounded, outsized without Gavin Baxter. It's, it's really hard for them to, to out-rebound teams. They did beat Weber State. Still a borderline top 25 team for, for Mark Pope and BYU, but I think they're a team that's Unfortunately, falling more than they are rising, especially with the injuries to their front court. They got South Florida on Wednesday. Next up, Santa Clara, 93rd in Ken Palm. They lost to Cal and Boise State, two games that I, I would have been nice to snag one of them, but at least uh, you know at least they secured wins over Florida A&M and Montana, which were their final two games before we recorded here. They got or excuse me, they got San Jose State tonight. I'm recording this at 4:30 on Tuesday, so that game has not happened yet. Hopefully they can secure a win there, go to 10-5 and five on the year. That would be super nice. But regardless, they are done with their non-conference slate heading into conference play. LMU, similar situation. They played Bellarmine yesterday evening when you're listening to this. They have not played them yet <laughs> as I'm recording their last two games. Our New Mexico State and Nevada, a pair of losses there. Now 6-5 and five on the year, and they got the Zags on New Year's Day. Next up, San Diego. Three wins in a row, Cal Poly, Cal Lutheran, and Northern Arizona. So that's nice. They're up to 7-5. and five. Uh, They were had a losing record, now up over there. 190th in Ken Palm. They got UNLV on Wednesday. I suspect there's a good chance that game gets canceled. UNLV has been dealing with COVID cases. So has San Diego. I, as of this recording, I have not seen an official notification that that game's not going to happen, but I would not be surprised to see that one get bagged. Pacific is next. They're 5-8 and eight on the year, 224th in Ken Palm. If you recall, when I first started doing these, Ken Palm had Pacific like in the 160s. I thought at the time that it was odd Pacific hadn't done anything to really merit being a top 200 team. Now they are 5-8 and eight on the year. They're 1-5 in their last six. And of course, Ken Palm has justifiably moved them significantly down in their ratings. Their only win in that stretch was against UC Santa Barbara. They got Cal on Wednesday. I'm not holding my breath. They're going to secure a victory there. Next up, Pepperdine. Three wins in a row. As of this current conversation, they are playing Oregon this evening, so I don't expect that they're going to secure a win there. But you never know. Oregon has fallen to a couple of WCC teams already this season in St. Mary's and BYU. They did beat Portland recently. Pepperdine is a little bit more like Portland than they are like BYU and St. Mary's. But, hey, you never know. Maybe maybe the Waves and Lorenzo Romar can pull out a victory there. And finally, last but not least, but also maybe least, <laughs> the Portland Pilots. They are 8-6 and six on the year, so by record, they are far from the worst team in the conference. But Ken Palm doesn't like them all that much, 297. Uh, they've also lost three in a row. They were 8-3 and three at one point under new coach Shantae Leggins, which is fantastic. But as you kind of expected when they started playing a little bit better competition, their record fell. They lost to Oregon, San Jose State, and Montana State. They do have UC Davis on Wednesday. Hopefully they can secure a victory there. It'd be great if Portland came out of their non-conference slate with nine wins. That'd be an incredible accomplishment for Shantae and that squad. And then they're going to head into conference play where hopefully they can uh, 
Well, let's just say they'll have more success than they did in the Terry Porter, Terry Porter era, excuse me, where they won one game in the last two seasons of conference play. I suspect we will not see them with that level of futility again. All right, that is going to do it for today. We are not going to have an episode on Thursday, so for those of you who'd like to submit Andy Locks, you still can because Andy Locks is coming out on Christmas Eve holiday edition Friday morning. Andy Locks says, submit your takes to me now whenever you're thinking about them in the next couple of days. I will round them up. We'll get them into the show. We'll celebrate the holidays. We'll come back next week with one game against North Alabama. All right here, Locked on Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and and available as well on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button if you have not yet already, trying to get to 250 subscribers before Gonzaga's next game. Finally, now is a next great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked on Bets podcast. Locked on Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.